The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 5 is what we're going to tackle this morning and find ourselves in. We're, we're kind of getting to the close of the book of Galatians, only a couple more sermons uh, in this book. And Paul is really getting to the point in this letter now where he's getting very practical. It's not just theological, but it's, but it's practical. And that is important because a lot of people you may run into in a church are very theological. They have a lot of smarts, a lot of knowledge, but they're not practicing it. They're not practical with it. They seem as if they don't understand how it then impacts their life. If they know all of this about God, if they know all these truths about God, it should be coming a part of their life instead of beating people over the head with it. Uh, but you do see that. And on the flip side of that, you see people who are all practical all the time and not much depth in God's word. And that is a problem as well. And so what we see Paul doing is he laid out all these points, all these theological points, all these truths. And now he's starting to get very practical. And so for the past few weeks, we've been talking about some practical things, what it looks like to fight against the flesh, what it looks like to walk in the spirit. And we will continue this uh, this morning. You know, really looking at the question, what does the church look like, right? And how does it relate to each other? What does the church look like and how does it function if this is, if this is true? If these are the things that we are supposed to be doing, fighting against the flesh, walking in the spirit, how can we do this? How can we actively do these things? Last week, we, we got a little personal with it. And remember, we talked about two, two big words. I don't know if you had the chance to use them this week. Uh, but mortifying sin, mortification means killing sin, destroying sin. It's a daily process. It's very difficult. But looking within and praying and asking God to show you sin in your life and, and ridding yourself of sin so that we are clean from that sin. But then there was the second word, vivification, which again, you don't need to know that word necessarily, but you need to know what it means. And that is then doing the things to fill your life with Christ, right? God saves us by his grace and, and he, we're given the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit lives in our life. But there's things that God calls us to do, to read his word on a daily basis, to fill ourselves with his truth, to seek him in prayer on a daily basis, to communicate with him. So we have this close relationship with him. God calls us to worship together. Sunday morning, it, it's vital, it's important. In the book of Hebrews, it even says, do not neglect coming together to worship. You may think, ah, it's no big deal. If I come twice a month, if I go once a month, I'm being a good church member. Well, by today's standards, you might be a good church member, but by scripture, you're not being a good Christian and you're not being faithful to your church and the body as a whole because we're called to come together to do these. These are things that God has given us so that we are enabled to walk by the spirit. If you're constantly filling yourself with things of this world, guess how you're going to walk by this world. I mean, that's how you're going to walk. But if you're constantly filling yourself with things of the Lord and you're, you're listening to good, maybe Christian music, you're, you're reading God's word, you're listening to sermons throughout the week, you're, you're fellowshipping together, you're, you're holding each other accountable, you're, you're praying and focusing on the Lord, and you're sharing the gospel with your lost family members and your lost friends, then what you are doing if you do those things is you're, you're walking by the Spirit. I mean, that's what you're doing. You're being faithful in that. And so as we get to Galatians chapter one, verse five, I want to read that this, this morning, but 
we're gonna see some characteristics of a spirit-led church. What it looks like to be a part of a spirit-led church, okay? Galatians 6, one through five. It says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. As I said, I want us to hopefully see this morning some some characteristics of a spirit-led church. I wouldn't say these are all of the characteristics but just some of them. In verse one, we see that the church is full of sinners, that it has sinners in it. That's something that I think we say we understand. It's something that yet we wish was different. What I mean by that is we act sometimes as church people that it is just shocking to find out that so-and-so in the church has sinned, that they have fallen, that, that something has happened. We, we know the truth, right? We know that the truth is sinners are here, but it still just seems to shock us, even to the point that maybe we're appalled to hear about this. You know, I, I'm not going to use examples. I don't think there's a reason for it, but when you find out, you know, so-and-so in your Sunday school class, this has happened, or they were here, or their kids have done this, or whatever the case might be. I mean, it's almost like a, oh, are you serious? They allow that in their family? Right, they allow that stuff to happen and take place. What are they teaching over there? Right, what, what is going on in that household? Well, I can tell you what's going on. Uh, they're sinners and they sin. And it's what happens. It's part of church life. life. Oh, we can shake our heads and discuss, but the Bible never shies away from this fact. And I mean, if you look at some of the main people in scripture, you start to see they're full of sin, I compiled a little list. It's not a huge list and it didn't take long to think about, but you look at Adam, the first man, shifted the blame to his wife. That's what he's kind of known for. Oh, it was her fault. She forced me to eat that. I know you, God, told me not to, but you know she, she made me do it. Or Noah, we see of the sin of Noah. Noah was this righteous man that God had called to build the ark and soon off the ark, it says there was a sin of Noah showing his nakedness to his son. Now, I, I can't go into detail of what that is, but the Bible's very clear that it was a sin, whatever it was he was doing. Abraham, he was a liar concerning his wife. His wife, Sarah, had her maidservant sleep with, his, with her husband and then hated her for it after that. Moses killed men and was often angry. Aaron, his brother, helped build the golden calf. Samson, full of lust. King Saul, full of pride and envy. King David, a fornicator and a murderer. King Solomon, had many wives and concubines. Matthew, who was one of the 12, was a tax collector and a thief. Peter cursed God, ran from God, sided with the Judaizers here in Galatians, went against Paul, went against the gospel. Then you have the apostle Paul, who himself was a murderer. This isn't a stellar list. In fact, it's not a list that I would include in my book if I'm talking about a book on how to be holy and how to have a relationship with God, to be quite frank. But God's very clear and he puts this in his word that they are sinners. In fact, this is, this is one of the proofs that you can use when trying to prove scripture to be true. 
If scripture was false and it was a fallacy made up by men, why would they include these nasty people as the main characters? That doesn't make sense. That wouldn't be what you would put in there. But God doesn't shy away from that. Why? Because God uses sinners. God uses sinners in his kingdom. And it's amazing to see the people that God uses. Oftentimes, most of the time, it's not anybody else that anyone would use. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29, it says this. It says, for consider your calling, brothers. Ready? You're excited that you're a Christian. God loves me. And then this verse gets dropped on us. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is who we align ourselves with. When we're saved by the grace of God and we join a church, we've got to understand this. We are joining a bunch of people in this body of Christ who are not wise by worldly standards, who are not of noble birth, who are not powerful people. They're sinners They're messed up and they're broken. And you know what? As we sit here in the pews, we're one of them. We're amongst our own because we're sinners. And so we cannot deny this. We cannot be shocked by it. Low be it for me to shake my head in anger or rage at the sin of a fellow Christian. And now I'm going to get to talking about sin and dealing with sin. We're going to get there. But man, I'm, I'm a sinner too. Well, second, verse two, if that wasn't good news enough that the church, a spirit-led church has sinners in it, we see another level. Verse two, it has broken people in it. It has broken people in it. Within the walls of this church, there are people who are completely broken. And I'm not talking about sin here. I'm not talking about broken because of our, because of our sin and, and that. No, that's, that's not what I'm speaking about because what Paul is talking about here, when he talks about bearing each other's burdens and that there are burdened people. What he means is he's talking about the downtrodden. He's talking about the sick. He's talking about the poor. He's talking about the depressed. He's talking about those who are afraid all the time. Those who feel as if they live on the outskirts of society, as if they're not quite part of the group. They're, they're on the outside. I would dare say there's some of you in here this morning. You feel that every day. Every day you wake up and you wonder, is this going to be a good day or am I going to be depressed all day? Is today going to be another day that I limp through, that I, that I struggle with? Is today going to be the day that I, I'm still lonely? And you find yourself on the, on the outskirts. You see, walking into this building, I, I haven't found the machine yet. I, I, I'm not smart enough to make it, but there's no machine that when you walk into this building, magically all that stuff gets fixed. I wish it existed. It doesn't, you know, I can't like set up some metal detector or something like that. And when you walk through, oh, I'm, I'm all good. I'm all clean. Really, I, I thought about the, the movie Willy Wonka and that car kind of goes behind that pillar or whatever and it kind of disappears and it comes out clean, all clean of all the soap and all the bubbles. That, that doesn't exist. It's not, 
That's not a real thing. And so even being saved by the grace of God, if God saves you by his grace, you realize your sin and you fall before him and you say, I trust in Jesus full heartedly. I believe then that you are saved, that you become a child of God. But that also doesn't fix all those problems. You still live in this world with, with problems and, and difficulties. Something I want you to hear this morning, if that's you, if you're like, I, I feel like that's where I live. I feel like that's where I find myself all the time. Nobody, nobody here understands the pain that I go through every day. No, nobody understands how lonely it is to be at home all by myself. My, my husband's been dead for, for 10 years and I'm, I'm all alone. And no, I don't think anybody gets that. I don't think anybody understands that. Now, while you may be correct that a lot of people don't understand what you're going through. And I have found in my life, when I went through difficult times, for people to say, I understand what you're going through was one of the worst things for them to say to me. I said, no, you don't. My situation's different. I do know this, that God's word does speak to that. And this is how I want you to see this. You know, you feel like you live on the outskirts. You, you feel like you live outside. But scripture tells us that Jesus actually came for those on the outskirts and those on the outside, so much so that it is woven from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament. In, in Leviticus, it, it talks about sacrifices that need to be made for sin. And so they would take their sacrifices to the temple, which was the center of town. And they would, they would kill the animal there and, and the blood would be spilt there. But you know what they would do with like the hide and all this other parts of the animal? They would take it outside of the city and it would go outside of the city and is there where it would be burned. And what that symbolized was this. Sin was not allowed to be in God's kingdom. And so it was not gonna be dealt with in the middle of the city. It was gonna be dealt with outside. That's how big of a deal sin was. Out on the outskirts of town. Now, the people that lived on the outskirts of town in Israel, you know, they had all their tribes lined up around the temple, how they were supposed to do it biblically. But on the outskirts of town, outside of the gate were the lepers. Were the people that you don't want to have anything to do with them. It was the foreigners. It was the people who were not a part of the city inside the gate. And so the sacrifice would be burnt outside of the gate. Well, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 11 through 13, the writer of Hebrews brings this up to point something out. It says, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Now catch this. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. You know, when God and his great uh, forethought and his great plan decided that his son would come and to die on a cross, he didn't have him die on the cross in the middle of the temple. It didn't happen. He didn't die on the cross in the Holy of Holies. God sent his son outside of the camp to a hill that was outside of town in Calvary where the outskirts, outskirt people lived, where the unwanted lived. And there he hung and there he died and there he conquered. Why? Because he was dying for those on the outskirts. He was dying for sinners. He was bearing the reproach and the shame of the guilty so you might be sitting here this morning and you say, that's me, I'm broken. I'm completely broken. I feel 100% unwanted in this world. Please hear this this morning. While the world may not want you, 
the Lord died for you. He died for you outside of the building, outside of the walls. He went to you so that you could have a relationship with him. So that, oh man, your life in this world might be pain. It might be horrible, but there will be promised for you because of Jesus, a day when that exists no more. And you as an heir of the king will get your claim in his kingdom. And so you look forward to that. You say, well, Pastor Tim, that's easy for you. I don't, I don't see you dealing with pain every day. I don't see this. You're right. You're right. And it's hard for me to talk to people when they're going through these things because I don't understand. But I know that this truth is real. And it's what you have to hold on to. It's the hope that you have. Christ died for the broken. And if you feel broken today, he died for you. He died for you. In verse three and four, it goes on to tell us that's another characteristics of a spirit-led church. Not only is there sinners in it, not only is it full of broken people, but in verse three and four, we see it has humble people in it. As we look at these verses, we see that we're called to self-reflect and we're supposed to do this often as we serve God. As we serve the Lord, we're supposed to be looking within. And this should be a natural thing for us. It should be something that we understand. We should understand our natural tendencies. Uh, We should understand our weaknesses. It's important for us to look within and to figure those things out, to set set ourselves up for success. I mean, I would hope that you would do this uh, in the workplace. You're not going to go apply for a job for something that you're absolutely no good at. No, you're going to find what you're good at and you're going to try to apply for that. Maybe strengthen your weaknesses. But being a people who are broken, being a people who are sinful, it's important for us to reflect and to look through God's word and say, God, what do I need to work on? And man, that is a difficult thing. To be 100% honest with yourself is extremely hard. It's hard to see ourselves truthfully and to understand our inabilities. It may be like, maybe there's a bathroom in your house you dodge because the lighting is just too bright and you really see. You really see what your face looks like. You're like, oh, you know? Or somebody takes a picture of you and you say, delete that right now. That is not a good picture of me. Guess what? That's you. That's what you are. That's what you look like. Those are hard situations. Those can be difficult times, but it's something that we're supposed to do right? And we have to understand that we don't go in this alone. That's why God has given us each other. If I was a church of one, I would never self-reflect. I would never look within. But when God gives me other people around me, sometimes they do it for me. And it hurts, but it's necessary and it's needed to say, well, maybe I was wrong there. Or maybe I could do this better. Or maybe this sin in my life is destroying me and I'm not dealing with it like I should. We need to let people in our life to help us with our weaknesses, to help us see our temptations. And you have to understand that as we do this in our lives, it doesn't only protect ourselves, but as we're going to see in a moment, it also protects those around us. Because if I'm in the church and I'm not looking at myself and saying, well, Tim, you're not that good at this, but you're better at this. I might rush into a situation that I'm not ready for. And I'm going to try to help you and to handle you, but I'm not ready for it. And you know what happens in the end? We both fall apart. We both get crushed because I wasn't willing to self-reflect. And so I rush into something that I just simply can't handle. I've seen this with teachers in the church. 
You know, the pastor comes up to you and says, hey, would you be willing to teach a class? Who are you to say no to the pastor? Maybe you think. And so you teach the class and, and you know what happens? You burn out after no time. Why? You weren't ready for it. It wasn't your gift. And you know what? The people you taught probably aren't better off either because you were not ready for it. You weren't willing to say no when maybe you should have said no. Well, pastor thinks I'm gonna be good. Maybe I will be good. See, we have to be willing to be humble before God, to be humble before our fellow church members. Yes, to be able to serve well, we want to serve well, but the only way we can serve well is when we know those weaknesses, when we're honest with ourselves. Well, then lastly, verse five, it says that we're hard workers. There's hard workers in the spirit-led church. Look what it says. It's kind of interesting. And again, we're gonna dive into this in a moment. But it says, for each one shall bear his own load, which seems the opposite of what he said in verse two, bear one another's burdens. Paul's not washing away the bear each other's burdens. And again, we're gonna get to that here in a second. But it's saying, each one shall bear his own load. It means doing the work that you are called to do within the body, to do your job and to do it well. And when we do that as hard workers within the body of Christ, I think there's some things that we see. Number one, we do our jobs consistently. Whatever that is, we are consistent with it and we're faithful to it. Second thing, we do our job regardless of the cost. As we sign up, to be a part of the church, as we're saved by God's grace, there are jobs that simply cost us. They don't give us anything. They don't give us anything. It just costs us over and over and over and over again. But it's still worth doing because it's a job God has called us to. Which brings me to the next thing. As we work hard, we do it joyfully. We do our job joyfully. As we know that God has called us to this task, as we do it over and over again consistently, We do it with a joy in our heart, thankful that God allows us to serve. And the last thing there is we only do our job. Notice we bear our burden. We do our job. It's not your job to do my job. And it's not my job to do your job. We do our own job and we do it well. And this is so important because you can't do what I do and I cannot do what you do. If we start to do that, it becomes very unhealthy within the church. And it's a church that starts to get disgruntled and it's a church that starts to fall apart. So we have to ask them, what is our job? Well, he's laid that out for us in verse one and verse two. And this is how we're gonna close. The job that he has given us, number one is restoring brothers and sisters in the Lord. And the second job is to be a burden bearer, is to bear burdens. Now I know those do not sound fun. I dare say it's hard enough for me to put sign-up sheets on the welcome centers and have you sign up to hand candy to kids, which is really one of the best jobs in the world. I do it every Sunday. All right, when I get done, Pastor Tim, can I have a sucker? Absolutely. They smile, they love you, and it's great. It is hard for me to get you to sign up to hand candy to kids. What if it said, hey, we need some burden bearers today. Will you sign up? Hey, we need some restoration church members today. We need to restore some people. Will you sign up? That's what we're called to as a church. And so when we look at restoring, in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 to 20, it talks about the process of dealing with someone as they've sinned against you and what that looks like. You know, going to them, uh, bringing someone else with you later, bringing some leaders in the church. And this is wise counsel for sure. But what if the sin doesn't affect you? What if it's something going on within the church, a brother or sister, and you really don't have anything 
to do with it. How can you restore that brother or sister to the Lord? How do you handle these situations? Now, I think some of Matthew 18 can still apply here, but it is a little bit different. And the the verses that God brought to my mind when thinking about this was Matthew chapter seven, verse one through five, probably one of the most famous passages in all of scripture. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek to see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is in the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now notice, we're not called to not judge, but we're called to judge when we're ready to be the judge. You need to notice that. I hate when people say, you're not my judge. Well, if you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, there's a chance I might be. God might've called me to judge you at that moment. But there is self-reflection first, which is what we already talked about, right? We have to be humble. We have to self-reflect and say, am I ready to do this? Can I go to them and speak to them? Or are there things that need to be dealt with in my life first? I would say most of the time, nobody gets past that point because you go, oop, I gotta deal with something to me first. But if we move on from there, we, want, we need to deal with it because sin is destructive. And because we care for our church family, then we need to deal with it. So how do we go about this? Well, I think there's some really practical things. I think the first question you should ask when you come up to a, a situation where a member in the church is sinning is ask the question, how serious is this sin? How big of a deal do I need to make about this? You say, well, pastor, are you determining levels of sin? No, but I do think scripture speaks to different consequences for sin. I do think that that happens. All sin separates us from God, but as God saves us by his grace and we're trying to serve him faithfully and we sin and we fall short, we should ask the first question, how serious is this? How quickly does it need to be dealt with? So let's say, for example, well, this is sexual abuse instantly dealt with, right? We instantly need to deal with this. We need to talk about this. Well, well, the sin is, you know, I kind of caught them in a lie. Well, about what? Well, about food. Okay. Well, let's, let's deal with it, but we can slow down a little bit then. We can take a step back and, and we can deal with it maybe a little bit different. Sometimes grace needs to be involved in time. Second thing, how well do you know the person? I really think this goes a long way. If some stranger just walks up to you, let's say, let's say somebody from the north side goes to somebody on the south side right? And just walks up to you and says, hey, I saw you in Meyer. I saw what you bought. You should be at the altar. That's not going to go over well. It's just not going to be handled well. And so we really do have to think, how well do I know this person and how I handle this situation? If you don't know them very well, I would dare say you're not the one to restore them. You shouldn't do that. There's other ways about it. And lastly, I think spiritual discernment is also a must. And if you're not good at this, if you're not good at spiritually discerning situations, then you probably shouldn't be someone who restores a lot of people back from their sin. Because as you try to spiritually discern the situation when you're talking to them, you're trying to share with them truths, you're trying to judge the situations, it does take a lot of discernment and a lot of prayer because each situation is very, very different. 
I have friends in my life who I would no doubt go straight up to and say, hey, this is a sin and you're being dumb. I, I would do that without hesitation and not be afraid that it would ruin our relationship. But I have other friends that I, you'd have to be much more delicate. You'd have to handle the situation a lot different. Almost get them to walk themselves into it, to seeing it. But it takes discernment. And so I do want to heed some caution here. As I challenge us as a church to restore each other, if your brother or sister in the Lord is sinning to help them deal with it, I don't want to urge you to get your checklist out and beat them all this week. But to be very spiritually discerning because the reason we restore each other is because for the, for the grace of God to be seen within our body, because we love each other, because we love the Lord. And this is something that God calls us to. Sin should not be a part of our camp. We need to, we need to get rid of as much sin as we can in our life. So let's strive to do that together. But then in verse two, it talks about burden bearing. This has got to be one of the most difficult jobs of the Christian's life. It require, this, is, this is why it comes after talking about the fruit of the spirit. Because it requires the fruit of the spirit to be very evident in our life as we do our best to bear the burdens of those in our church who seem to not be able to bear their burdens alone. And so God calls us within the church to go to those who are hurting, to go to those who are broken, and to do our best to lift them up. I mean, it really reminds me of the story of Moses and Israel's in the battle. And maybe you remember, as long as Moses had his arms raised, Israel would win the war. But as his arms would fall because he got tired, they would start to lose. They would start to get defeated in the battle. And so Aaron and Hur would come and they would hold Moses' arms up for him. And when he could not do it, he couldn't bear the burden any longer. And so they would come and raise his arms for him so Israel could be victorious. That's the picture here as a church. My brother in the Lord can't bear this burden. He's so broken. I want to come and to help lift him up. Oh, the Lord carries him. The Lord is who sustains him. The Lord is his cornerstone. But I'm just getting a shoulder. And maybe another church member will come along and grab the other shoulder and he'll limp along with us because we're gonna bear this hurt for him. We're gonna bear this burden for him. This is hard because this means caring for the sick. This means caring for the terminally ill, the depressed who seem to have no hope the anxious person who is always worried about what happens next are the poor who never seem to get ahead. As you try to bear these people's burdens, it will feel as if it's never going to end. And let me be honest with you, it might not. And you think that's bad for you. Think of how bad that is for the person going through the pain every day. Every day they wake up with the pain. Every day they wake up poor. Every day they wake up and feel as if they have no hope, they have no way out. God calls us as their brother and sister in the Lord to come alongside of them and to love them well by helping bear that burden. I'm not saying you pay for everything for them. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying you love them and you're there for them. You show compassion for them. You care for them. Some of you, and I want to, Thank you. Some of you do this now and you do this great. Some of you have parents, grandparents that are in this situation and you are bearing the burden with them. You see them daily or as often as you can and you're there caring for them and, and you're like, I, I haven't been in church much, Pastor Tim, because my mom, I just, I can't leave her alone. She falls and 
listen, you are doing well serving the Lord and bearing the burden of others. That's what we are called to do. You say, but it's just taking so much of my time and all this stuff. Yes, yes, you are right. And you know what? It's our job, the other church members in this church, to then bear our load. And as you are bearing those burdens, you know what my job is then? To pick up the slack. Because maybe you would be a great teacher here at the church, but now's not the season. Because you're bearing the burden of, of, of somebody else. I know there's people in this church then who could step in. Because not all of us are experiencing that right now. I don't have that situation. My parents are very capable and able. My grandparents, capable and able. Or my parents to help take care of them. And so I don't have this long commitment to this, but you know what? I have a task then that's other than that. And I have to step in. And some of you would have that same story. It's time to, to step up and to care for those who are bearing the burdens of others. But I want to encourage, encourage us as a church family this morning to keep on fighting, to keep up the good work, to keep on encouraging each other, of restoring each other, and to continue to bear the burdens of others. Oh, I know it's difficult. Believe me. I know it's difficult. Getting texts late at night, getting emails that are, are long, getting phone calls, getting all these things asked upon you over and over again. And you might even think in your head, man, if he would just leave me alone, my life would be so much better. Bear that burden. Bear that burden. And, and demonstrate Christ in doing that. Demonstrate Christ in doing that. Love them well and pray that God would use that in their life for his glory, for his honor, and for his purpose. Not for yours, but for his. Bear the fruits of the spirit. Let them see that you're long-suffering. Let them see that they cannot push you away. That's something that I've found. As we bear the burdens of, of people who need them burdens bared, a lot of times they try to push you away. They try to push you away. Don't, don't let that happen. Keep loving them well. And as you do it, know that you are being faithful to the Lord. Know that you are being spirit-led. If we want to have a church that is spirit-led, that is walking in the spirit, then this is something that we will do often. We'll bear the load of others and we'll restore them. We'll be hard workers We'll check ourselves first to make sure we're ready for the task and we'll deal with the sin and the struggles in our own life as well. I know it doesn't sound glorious. Listen, as I sat here, I knew what I was preaching. I'll be honest. I didn't feel this sense of excitement like, oh, they're gonna be so pumped to hear this this morning. When we leave this place, our church is just gonna be on fire. That was not, that was not in my mind at all. But the reason that I preached this sermon this morning, well, one, this is just where we're at in Galatians. I had to. But number two is this. This is God's strategy for a good church. It's what it is. It's what he has called us to as a church body. And if we think that it's something else, we're wrong. This is what we are. This is what we are supposed to be. And somehow in God's great plan and in his design, this is what will work. This is what will bring your lost family members and your lost friends to the Lord. These things, as they see you living your life this way, as you share the gospel with them, as you get opportunity, that is what works. It's not the other things. 
It's not the other things. So church, stay faithful to these things. Be faithful in it and trust that God will use it. I want you to bow your head with me and close your eyes this morning. We're not gonna sing a song to end. We just don't have time for it today. So I apologize for that. But I do wanna close us in prayer and I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to the word of God. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I really hope and pray that God has laid people on your heart. Maybe that you need to go and bear their burdens. Or maybe that God has laid on your heart that you need to check within yourself before you worry about others and what's going on in their life. Maybe you need to do that better. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure. But I trust that you'll respond to God's word how you should this morning. God, I do thank you for the truths of your word. God, I ask that you would help us as a church to not be scared of getting dirty, of getting into those situations that are difficult and that are hard, that most people run away from. God, in our community, there are homes filled with people who are older, who nobody goes to see them. No family cares about them. It was just easier to put them there. God, I pray that that would not be what defines us as Christians, but that we would be burden bearers, that we would be lovers of our church family so much so that we'd be willing to go to them and try to restore them from sin. God, I pray that we would be faithful to the things that you called us to. God, I pray that each one of us would bear our own load and do the work that you have called us to God, so often in churches, a small percentage seem to do a lot of the work. God, I I pray that that would not be what happens here at Nor Missionary Baptist Church, but that we would all be doing our part, that we would all be reaching out to our neighbors, that we'd all be caring for the loved ones that God has given us and being faithful to the call that you've given us in our hearts. God, I am thankful that you sent your son to die outside of the gate, outside of the camp, to where the unwanted were, to where the unloved were, It's there that he died. It's there that he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And God, it's because of that, that we get to be a part of your family. And so God, we're thankful that we get to be a part of your family. Help us to love how we should. Help us to serve how we should. Help us to glorify you, to praise you, and to worship you how we should each and every day. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.